We're going to be reading from Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. Um, If you want to join in reading with me, you can, uh, but it's really up to you. Uh, I really, it will be beautiful. So, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain, does He who supplied the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, And you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are in faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it's written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it's written, Curses everyone who's hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. This is the word of God. You can have a seat. <clears throat> so, my name is Sergey, and if we have not met, I would love to meet you. Uh, but we have been in this book, we have been in this book for a little while now. Uh, we've been studying in Galatians. The way I want to start today is by asking this question. I want to start with this question. Um, and is, are you making progress? Are you making progress? Like, if you looked at your life from 10 years ago, are you making progress? Are you growing? Are you maturing? We had a cohort a couple weeks ago, and in it, uh, one of us, as we were sharing our story, said something along these lines, where I take two steps forward, then I have three that go backwards, and then I take another forward, and then two back, then maybe four forward. Is that growth? Is that maturity? You don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you still struggle with the same sin that you struggled five years ago, ten years ago? Does it feel like we're all stuck? And I'm asking these questions. I'm asking these questions as a setup. I'm setting them up because strength and progress have become the measurement of the modern-day church. Uh, Drake seems to be chanting the heart of the modern day church with these words started from the bottom, now we're here. Walk through a Christian section of a bookstore and read the titles of those books Strong Faith, Your Best Life Now, Strong Christianity. How are you measuring up? And Paul in the book of Galatians will show us that we're not climbing some ladder. 
uh, that we're not climbing some ladder. Christianity is looking at the one who is strong while we remain weak always. It is relying on Christ. And maturity and growth is relying on Christ. Maturity and growth is seeing ourselves as weak, broken, sinful, and looking to the one who is strong for us, who took all the brokenness upon himself. In other words, Paul will address progress and maturity, but he's going to address it in such a way that is different from what you are used to hearing. So let's jump in. Let's start from verse 1 of chapter 3. He starts off and he says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Uh, the, the actual language here says, you brainless, idiotic Galatians, who has cast a spell on you? Uh, maybe you remember when we started this letter, I, I talked about a tone uh, in the beginning uh, about Paul's tone in this letter. It's strong, almost angry tone. Well, that tone is back, right? Tone is back, and he, he calls them brainless because right away, he says, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. So now we, we know historically that no one in Galatia saw Jesus Christ crucified. No one living in the modern-day Turkey saw Jesus crucified with their own eyes. So when Paul uses this language He's not saying that they saw Jesus on the cross, but that they heard the message and responded to the gospel. And I point this out, this minor detail, because it tells us that Paul sees the message of the gospel as an announcement of historical event, not as a message of self-improvement. He's saying when you heard the gospel, you were hearing the message of the finished work, Christ crucified. It was an announcement that your salvation depends on Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. But now, but now you have been tricked into believing that there's another way to be saved. So he asks them, let me ask you only this, right? Verse 2, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? So Paul is asking this question, hoping to recall their conversion and shake them back towards the gospel. Did you receive the Spirit by doing something? Or did you receive the Spirit simply because you heard and believed the gospel? And of course the answer is we received the Spirit simply because we heard and believed what Jesus did on the cross. So at conversion, when when you believe that, at conversion, the Holy Spirit is poured into your heart. Romans 5.5 says, And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. At conversion, we receive the Spirit and then we're marked by the Spirit. Romans 8, just a few chapters later, uh, Romans 8, 9 says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. So the Holy Spirit enters our hearts through belief in the gospel. And what does the Spirit do? The Spirit constantly reminds us of the cross. We're not only saved by the gospel, but we also grow and mature by the gospel. And so Paul says, are you so foolish? 
having begun by the Spirit, you're now being perfected by the flesh? In other words, you didn't do anything for your salvation, but you think you can do something to make yourself more acceptable to God now through the law? You think you can mature and grow by your effort now? In other words, we are saved by grace alone, uh, by grace of God through faith in Christ, and we mature by leaning from leading and learning from the Spirit to apply the gospel in every area of life. And that takes time. That takes time. Growing and maturity in Christ happens slowly over the course of our entire life because it means learning from the Spirit to apply the gospel to every little detail of your life. And the way maturity works, the way maturity works itself out is the way kids grow. Uh, This past uh, Christmas, we finally started our kids on our kitchen doorpost. And so, so Isaiah, for the next weeks, would come up and check his height every day. And guess what? Nothing changed. Nothing changed, and he felt like he was stuck. He'd be like, oh, kind of pout a little bit and walk away, right? But, but then some time went by, and we checked him last week, and he has grown an inch. He has grown an inch, and that's the way we mature. We're reminded of the gospel. We talk about the gospel. We sin. We confess our sin. And we again trust the work of the cross. And on the ground, it looks like we make two steps forward and three steps back. But then over time, you check the doorpost and growth did happen. And the growth is happening not because you are awesome, but because Jesus, through the work of the Holy Spirit, is growing you. Because Paul here links the Spirit and the gospel in the most inseparable ways. The Spirit works in us, reminding us of what Jesus did on the cross. And when we take two steps forward and one back, when disobedience is ruling the day, during those days, the answer is not to try harder, even though that's such a natural thing to do. If we try harder, then we're relying on our own self-effort to live up to the law. Instead of leaning, instead of leaning into the spirit and the gospel, we want to rely on the works of the law to mature us. But the law only reveals what is broken, right? I mean, we talked about what the law is. The law is just it reveals who we are. It has no power to produce growth in us. It has no power to do anything. And according to our text, That approach is foolish or idiotic. So how do we rely on the Holy Spirit to work within us, maturing us when we struggle with sin? Well, the best way to describe this, the best best way to describe this is is that it reflects your salvation experience. So what happens during salvation? During salvation, we realize that we are sinners before a holy God and that we can't save ourselves. No matter how hard we try, no matter what effort we put into it, we just realize that we can't get there, but we humbly see that Jesus can, and he's the one who saves us. So in salvation, we abandon self-effort and rely on the saving work of the cross. So now similarly, the Spirit moves our heart back to the cross over and over and over so that our hearts wake up to the reality of what Jesus did and who we are 
in him. So maturity doesn't mean more consistent obedience, even though uh, it will likely manifest itself that way. Just like salvation, maturity means growing in your awareness of of your sin or, or awareness of your sin, growing in your knowledge of God's holiness and growing in, in our trust, the reliance of the work of the cross. So maybe this will be helpful. There's a little graph that I'm going to throw up there and we'll leave it up there for a second. Right? When we are less mature, we're less likely to see or acknowledge our sin. And we are therefore less likely to see and acknowledge our need for Christ and to trust him for our salvation and our sanctification. Maturity doesn't mean you never sin. Like, uh, if, you, if you think that, John tells us that you're a liar. It means you see your sin, you see how far you are from the standard of God's holiness, and you own it. You own that sin. You confess that sin to God, and then, and then you beg him to change you from it. You churn to the cross. And you do this more and more consistently. And so as you mature, as you grow, you will notice that you're growing in your awareness of God's holiness. As you get older, you start to see how great and holy God is. And you grow in the awareness of, of your flesh and your sinfulness. Right? It, it, the, the older you get, the more you see that and the more you jump to the cross. Because that is your salvation. So, let's apply thing. Let's apply it to uh, sin. Uh, let's apply it to anger. But you can apply it to anything, actually. Um, you can apply it to anything. A person who struggles with anger often tries really hard to stop being angry, right? Like a person who struggles with anger, he's like, man, I want to stop being angry. And the reason for anger are many. And you pick why he's angry. It could be because your, your agendas are not being met. Or, or maybe you're overwhelmed and you can't focus on what you're doing, so you snap. So what happens after you snap? You snap and maybe, maybe you try to justify it. You know, if you snap at your kids, you're trying to be like, well, they were not behaving or, or whatever. Well, you're trying to justify your anger. Maybe you try, to, you, you, you try harder next time not to snap. So you create certain rules to follow that might help you with your anger. Maybe you just feel shame and guilt. This is what's going on in your heart. God saved you, but something else has replaced Jesus. Something else seems more important than him right now. And maybe it's your agendas. Maybe it's your expectations. Maybe it's just your rightness. Whatever it has, it has taken the throne in your heart. And so the answer is not to justify it. The answer is not to try harder next time. The answer is not to settle into your shame and guilt. Instead of trying not to be angry, which is just, just a law way of dealing with, look deeper. Ask questions so you can see your sin more clearly. Find the root of unbelief in your heart. What is it that you're believing in or trusting in more than Christ? What is it that you're you're needing more than Christ? So instead of trying harder, let the Holy Spirit reawaken your heart. So when I snap at my kids, so 
so, hey, your pastor snaps at his kids. I do. Um, I know in that moment, I know in that moment that it's wrong. I know that it's wrong. And in that moment, I don't need more law. Like, I don't need more law. I need the grace of God from a loving father who does give that grace through his son. That's what I need in that moment. And that is exactly what the Holy Spirit is doing. He is magnifying my view of God's grace. And again, all of this takes time. It's a slow, slow process. It's like us coming to the doorpost and seeing how far we came along. And you're like, same height. Yeah. feels like we shrunk, actually. But the way you can tell that maturity is happening is when a situation that previously upset us, and all of a sudden we find ourselves trusting God in that moment. Amen. Or that habit or attitude that used, that used to justify it, right? Like whatever that is, used to justify it now you finding yourself crying out to Jesus about it. That is growth. That is maturity. In that moment, growth and maturity has happened. You didn't even notice it. You didn't even notice it, but the Holy Spirit has been at work in your heart. And that's what Paul is arguing here. That's what he's arguing. He's saying, if you, were, if you were saved, if you have been sanctified by the Spirit and not by the works of the law, then why would you go back to the law that neither saved you nor sanctified you? Or a better question is, who saved you and sanctified you? It's Jesus Christ, his life, death, and resurrection. That's what, what, what saved you, and that is what's sanctifying you. So then Paul continues, right? In verse 4, he says that this gospel is also worth suffering from the law. The law is not so much. So Paul says, did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? So he's asking, are you suffering for the gospel or the law? We know that in the book of Acts chapter 13, Paul was persecuted in this area, this region. So the assumption is that if Paul was persecuted in this area, when he left the church would still continue to be persecuted. But now they're turning away from the gospel. They're turning away from the gospel and turning towards the law. And Paul is saying, if you are abandoning the gospel, all your suffering is in vain. If you believe and stay on track of the gospel, if you remember that suffering is, has worth, if you remember how you were saved, if you remember how you have been sanctified, then you won't go to the law for salvation or maturity, but you will run and rest in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit that's inside of you. And as evidence of this, he says in the next verse, does he who supplied the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? The Holy Spirit saved people. The law didn't do this. The Holy Spirit matures people. The law didn't do this. And then we see that the Holy Spirit also works miracles among them. The law is not doing any miracles. Now, from this moment on, Paul moves on to show us how faith is being played out. So he says in verse 6, Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, 
So at first, when you read this, you're like, why are you bringing up Abraham? It seems random, but remember who he is talking to. Remember the audience that Paul is talking to. He's talking to those who are being swayed away, believing that having faith in Jesus is great, but now you have to, but for you to remain right or you remain righteous before God, you need to have to live like a Jew. Right? And so, so because of that, so Paul goes to the father of Jews. He says, Abraham. He goes to a time where Abraham is still called Abram because this verse is a quote from Genesis 15.6. Here's the context of this promise and what Paul is quoting. It says, Abram was an old man and childless, but God promised him a son. And God, uh, God takes Abram outside and tells him to look into heaven and count the stars. So Abram does that. And God tells Abram, so shall your offsprings be. In other words, you see the stars? Uh, can you count them? Yeah, no, I can't. Well, that's how many people will be part of your family. And Abram believed God's promise. And it was counted to him as righteousness. So here's what's brilliant about this. The law and circumcision didn't even exist. The law and and circumcision didn't even exist. Abraham is saved many years before the law is even given. He's saved by faith in God and not by the law. So you see how brilliant Paul bringing up Abraham really is. Now, let's quickly unpack how it was counted to him as righteousness. Uh, Douglas Moo is just this great theologian. He says this. He says this. If we compare other verses in which the same grammatical construction is used as Genesis 15.6, we arrive at the conclusion that the crediting of Abraham's faith as righteousness means to account him a righteousness that does not inherently belong to him. So isn't this what justification is from what we talked about last week? God treats us as righteous, free from condemnation, even though we're still actually unrighteous in our hearts and behavior. The only reason God treats us as righteous is because of Jesus and his righteousness. So we are credited or counted as righteous because of faith and the work of the cross. Not anything we have done, but everything that Jesus did. So then, in verse 7, he says, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Right? During this time, the Jews in the first century believed that they would just naturally be saved because they were the ethnic Jews. They believed that this because they were ethnically God's chosen people. And Paul is saying that it doesn't matter if you are physically descended of Abraham. Salvation is by faith, and it's by faith we are sons of Abraham. So here's how it plays out in the modern-day church, or this is how it plays out for us, for those who grew up in a Christian family. For those who grew up in a Christian family, there's a temptation to rely on our parents' faith and not our own. But hear this well. You're not a Christian because your parents were a Christian. In fact, your parents have a zero bearing on your faith. In the same way, it doesn't matter if you're physically descended of, from Abraham. The thing that defines us as believers is putting our faith in Jesus and what he has done on the cross. Not your parents, 
but your faith. So what is the faith that I'm talking about here? Is it just this general belief in God? Well, it's not just a general belief in God that God exists. James, Jesus' half-brother, says that even demons believe in that. Notice in our text that our text doesn't say that Abraham believed in God. He did. He, he probably believed in God, when, when he, but, but he believed God's promise. And God then counted him as righteous. Abraham believed God's promise and counted him as righteousness. It was outside of anything Abraham could do. His wife was barren, and yet there's a promise that God can do something, and Abraham had to believe God in that moment, and he did. Now look where Paul goes with this. He says, And the scriptures, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, and you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. This is a quote from Genesis 12. Notice how the promise is all the nations are included. How are they included? By faith and not by the law. The law can and does diagnose us, right? But it's not a blessing, It just tells us that we are deeply, deeply sick. The gift to mankind was faith in Jesus, the one who saves us from the condemnation of the law, the one who can fulfill all the law's demands. But all foolish are we because we continually come back to the law to save us. We want the law to justify us, and we want the law to sanctify us. And Paul says, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it's written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. So what Paul is basically saying, if you want to live under the law, if you want to live under this curse, then abide everything this book says If you don't want this other way of faith, if you, want the, this, this, if you want this other way of the law, then make sure you observe everything and you observe it completely. Don't just pick and choose. Don't just cho- choose certain laws that you can obey, like the standard that you're building up. No, it's all of it. Either satisfy all of them, or if you fail even at one, then you have failed and are already under the condemnation from God. And this is the perfect definition of a performance-driven walk with God. I remember in college, I was trying really hard to live by the law. I probably would not have called that. Like if somebody came to me and said, hey, were you trying to live by the law? I'd be like, no, I've just been trying to be walking with Jesus or whatever, however I would have phrased it, right? But now looking back, I lived by the law. I, I just thought that I had to observe all these things, like don't get drunk, don't drink too much, don't sleep around, don't sleep around, don't do this or that, and that list went on and on and on, right? But during that time, I had two extreme reactions. I was either very timid and nervous, or I was extremely prideful. Extremely nervous and timid because I was unsure where I stood with God. So if I lusted, if I lusted, and then I remember laying in bed at night just hoping that I was still a Christian. But let's say that, that was a, it was a great week. I measured up to the standard that I created, and then I was extremely prideful. I thought I was awesome. 
I felt great about myself. But both of those paths that I was living were under the condemnation of the law. And look what Paul says. Now, in verse 11, now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it's written, curses everyone who is hanged on the tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promise spirit through faith so jesus brought us into blessing because he became a curse for us this is the good news this is the good news of christianity jesus becomes a curse for us for us or on behalf of us or in place of us jesus was the substitute he received the curse we received the blessing our sin and curse is put on him His righteousness and blessing and spirit is put on us. When Jesus died, God looked at Jesus and saw sin and condemnation. Jesus became sinner for us. He knew no sin, but he became a sinner for us. Why? So that we become righteous in the same way. God looks at us as righteous, flawless. And this reality can't change. This reality can't change. We are righteous and we stay perfect in God's sight. In other words, if you put your faith in Jesus, you are as as holy as you ever will be. Period. Tim Keller says this. He says this about these verses. He says, we do not begin by trusting in Christ, curse becoming, blessing giving death for us, and then continue by human effort as though we must now earn ongoing blessing. That is foolish. You see, God saved us because he opened our eyes to the truth of his son crucified. And we never move on from that. We never move on from that. What started this journey, this faith walk, right? Like what started this is what sustains us through the Spirit because the Spirit continually pushes us back to the cross. And that is maturity. That is progress. We rely on the cross of Jesus and his work daily. Let me pray for us.